So it's good to be home again. We, uh, another day or two, we'll know what time of day it is. And we're right back, and, uh, and we're bringing some of the weather from Ireland back with us, but it won't be here till tomorrow. Uh, it got lost somewhere in the airport up there in Chicago or something, but it's coming, so just be patient. It'll get here. We, uh, we woke up earlier this week. We we're in Galway, and we were staying right on the waterfront there in the hotel, and it was uh, about 45 or 50 degrees, and the wind was blowing about 50 miles an hour, and it's raining, and it's very stormy and cool, and, and so we go downstairs for this nice breakfast they had set out for us, and over there, there's a, you know how they do in hotels, sometimes they have that, like a, a big pot of, of what they call porridge, we would call it oatmeal, sitting there to keep it warm, and next to it is, you know, butter and honey and, you know, raisins and all that kind of stuff that you put on oatmeal and everything, and, and over here, there's a little smaller warming pot sitting there with something in it, which I assume was some kind of syrup or something that you could put on your oatmeal or on your uh, French toast or something, and so... Uh, you know, so anyway, we, we had breakfast and everything, and, and, and we get ready to go on uh, to our first uh, place we were going to see that day, and our, and our guide is going, hey, did, you, did you put some of the Jamesons on your oatmeal this morning? <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized, no, actually that's not syrup in that pot, that was whiskey. <laughs> They're telling us, oh no, the Irish don't have a drinking problem. I'm going, yeah, you used to eat it in your oatmeal, so <laughs> I missed out. I, didn't, I missed out, so what can I say? So we've been talking for several weeks about uh, uh, generosity, and you should have gotten uh, something like this in the mail, card, one of these cards that came in the mail. If you don't have one of these, uh, if you'll raise your hand up, the ushers will be happy to bring you one this morning if you need one of these. But I'm going to ask you to just have it in your hot little hand while we talk for the next several minutes and be thinking about uh, wh- what kind of commitment you were willing to make on this. Um, I grew up in South Texas, and, you know, we used to do that saying, you know, put your money where your mouth is. You know, when you start mouthing off, people would say, put your money where your mouth is. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's really, you know, we're really in the season where there's a lot of mouthing off going on. You know, we have elections coming up, right? Is your house like mine where you get like 10 phone calls a day? Uh, are you going to vote for this one? Are you going to vote for that, right? Are y'all getting all that and, you know, all the stuff coming in the mail and, and everything? And, I don't know about y'all, but I've gotten a little bit cynical about all this stuff, and so I'm listening to all the politicians talk, and I'm thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you're, you're talking a lot, but I'm really not so sure you're going to actually do that. Uh, you know, that you're, you're mouthing off a lot, but you're not really going to follow through on that. And, and um, so, so this morning, I want you to hold that because uh, I, I don't want that to be what we in the church are like. Um, so if we talk about trusting God, if we talk about believing in God, if we talk about leaning into God, uh, I want us to really live into that. So let's pray for a minute. Father, we give you thanks for your presence with us this morning, and uh, we ask that your power would be in the middle of us, and that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about different things about generosity and, and living from a spirit of abundance instead of a spirit of scarcity. And, uh, and this morning, I'm going to talk a, a little bit about uh, what that looks like and what holds us back. Uh, Adam Holds, uh, in his book on, uh, called Enough, Adam Hamilton talks about two questions that kind of hold us back or two voices that, that hold us back. And one of them is, is what he calls the voice of fear, which is that little voice that says, if I give, there won't be enough left for me. Uh, a fear of what might happen to us along with a misplaced idea about the true source of our security keeps us from being generous and leads us to hoard what we have. The truth is that hoarding offers us no real security in this world. 
And, uh, you know, this, this is one of those voices, I, you know, that in particular in my family, I think I identify with it. Uh, when we were, uh, I guess probably I was in my 40s and my sister was a little bit older than us, we were having a conversation around this and this voice of fear or scarcity that uh, we have carried with us and, and I still carry with me uh, that was instilled in us. Now, we, we grew up in a middle-class house. Uh, you know, we always, you know, had a roof over our house. We never worried about things like, I mean, a roof over our heads. You know, we never worried about things like that and everything. Uh, but both of our parents uh, grew up in very uh, rough circumstances. And, uh, you know, my, my mother's father died when my mother was six. And so my grandmother was raising three girls through the midst of the Depression. Uh, and it was very tough. Uh, my father was the illegitimate child of an uh, unmarried mother in uh, the Appalachian region in North Carolina. And she made her living basically by living with someone else and taking care of their house and cooking for them. And so for, for both of them, you know, they grew up in a time and an age when, uh, you know, tomorrow was very uncertain and where you might be living was very uncertain and what you might eat or if you might eat was very uncertain. And they both grew up with that. Now, now they raised us in a very different kind of circumstance, but somehow or another, they managed to pass that on to my sister and I. And, and it wasn't until we got into our 40s or something that we suddenly realized that we, we had that voice in our head. You know, you hold on to everything you have because tomorrow you might not eat. And so you don't let go of anything. And, and especially uh, as, as Cindy and I were, were working our way into uh, spiritual disciplines in our lives, and she had decided uh, she was going to stay home with the kids and uh, not work for a while, uh, but we were going to continue our level of giving. That suddenly put us up to a tithe. Don't do it that way. It's not good. So, I mean, but, you know, our income's cut in half and all of a sudden we're tithing. Uh, but, um, but one of the things we realized was that the fear that came with that, that, you know, can we really do this and are we going to be okay? And, and my sister and I realized, well, you know, we had this voice of fear that had been given to us. Uh, and, and I still run into that with people where, you know, we, we tend to think that somehow or another, if we just have enough stuff or enough money that that will take care of everything that whole thing i was talking about several weeks back you know if if we just earned 20 percent more we'd be okay or if we had 24 million dollars in the bank we'd be okay anybody if, by the way if you've got 24 million dollars in the bank i want to talk with you anyway but but so you know i mean i mean this whole attitude of if we just have more and so you know we, we live in houses now that are 2700 square feet on average and, and, and our houses are so full of stuff that we've spilled out into our garages and then they get full of stuff and we have to go rent a storage unit to put more of our stuff in and, and pretty soon what ends up happening is our stuff owns us instead of us owning our stuff and we're spending our resources to care for all the things we've hoarded and instead of giving us a sense of security they hold us in bondage and all through that that voice of fear continues to say if you let go of any of this if you let go of any of this, you're going to be in trouble. We have some good friends, uh, colleagues that retired this year from ministry. They were living in a, in a nice parsonage, and they bought a 2,000-square-foot home to retire into. Uh, and all of a sudden, this is what they're faced with. They have the furniture they've been living with for a while. They have his parents' furniture because his parents have now passed away. They have her parents' furniture because they've passed away. So they have about 5,000 or 6,000 square feet of furniture to go into a 2,000-square-foot house, and they are desperately trying to unload it. Instead of providing a sense of security, it's become a burden for them. 
My stepfather spent the last year worrying and fretting over what to do with a house in Victoria. He remarried here three years ago, and uh, they moved into an independent living kind of situation uh, where they're, they're very comfortable. But they had two homes full of things and furniture and, and that they'd accumulated over all the years. And, uh, and so, you know, what do you do with it? And, and he spent the last year worrying and fretting about what to do with it and finally decided with some convincing and encouraging uh, to have an estate sale. And I spoke to him when I got home and uh, the other night and uh, just to hear the relief in his voice that they finally had it and it's all gone. Isn't that interesting? We hoard all this stuff, we accumulate all these things, and then they become a burden to us. And what a relief it is to get rid of us when what God says to us in the first place is, you know, if, if you'll just trust me and lean into me, I'll provide for you. We listen to the voice of fear instead of listening to the God, voice of God's provision. The second voice that Adam talks about is the voice of self-gratification. If I give, I won't have enough money to buy the stuff I need to make me happy. Our culture tells us that our lives consist in the abundance of our possessions and pleasurable experiences, so we find ourselves thinking, if I give, there won't be enough left for me. As if somehow or another, all of our things are what really, what really give us joy. I mean, what really give us joy? I mean, think about it for a minute. I mean, the things that give us joy are our relationships with other people and our interactions with other people. You heard Rita talking up here about being on the FaceTime with her grandkids who live out of town. I mean, that's where we find our joy. We find our joy in those relationships with others and our relationship with God, not, not in all those things. And, and when we begin to accumulate all of those things, they take over our lives. And we end up serving them instead of serving God. As if here in, in the United States, as, as if here in the United States, we really are that lacking for things. And we listen to these voices and they end up holding us in bondage because we're afraid of what we might not have or we might not get to do. St. Francis, many, many, many centuries ago, said it this way, poverty is not measured so much by what we have, but by what we think we lack. And into that sense of lack, God speaks over and over again and says, I'm going to provide for you. I will sustain you. I'll hold you up. Trust me. Trust me. I got you. God speaks that voice over and over. You hear it uh, back in the Proverbs. You know, some give freely that grow all the riches. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. A generous person will be enriched and one who gives water will get water. Don't hear that as prosperity gospel. Hear that as God will sustain and those who are generous will be rich in other kinds of ways, uh, not necessarily in terms of money. Uh, Proverbs, those who are generous are blessed for they share their bread with the poor. Uh, there's that blessing that comes from opening your hands and sharing with others. Um, and there's this theme that runs through scripture about the giving of a tenth. Uh, it starts with Abraham and Melchizedek way back in the Old Testament. But this idea that somehow God has blessed us richly and so in response to that we give a tenth of the first fruits as, as both an act of gratitude and as a sign of trust that God will continue to provide. It's not given out of the leftovers but it's given at the front end uh, in confidence that God will continue. And you see this with Jacob. Uh, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. And you hear that he understands of all that you, God, give me, 
I will give one-tenth to you, that acknowledgement that everything that we receive comes from God's hand. And so we act in trust that even as God has provided for us in the past, God provides for us in the future. And we can let go of that tenth. We don't have to listen to fear. We can let go of that tenth and trust and confidence that God's going to continue to uphold us. When you move over into the New Testament, you have this teaching from Jesus where in Mark's gospel, uh, he sits down opposite the treasury and, and the crowd is up there uh, you know, bringing their money and putting it into the treasury. And, and he says, many rich people put in large sums. Now at that time in the treasury, the place where they did that, it was, it's a large metal kind of funnel basin uh, thing. And, and so as you put coins in, because that was what their money was, was all in coins, you, know, you could hear it. It made noise. So when, large, when people came up and put large sums of money in there, you, know, you could hear all those coins rattling. It was really loud, and you could tell how much people were putting in there. And so many people put in large sums, and they could tell. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which were worth a penny, and it would have hardly made any sound. Then Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And they're making the point that it, it's, it's not the dollar amount that, you know, is, it, it, it's the sacrifice, it's the act of commitment. Because those folks were putting in a large amount, but it was pocket change to them. It made no difference in their life. It was, it was extras, it was leftovers. But this woman, when she put in the two coins, she was betting that God was going to provide another two coins for tomorrow because if God didn't do that, she wasn't going to eat. In that act of, of stepping out in confidence and trust that God will provide for us even as God has provided for us in the past. Paul writes to the folks in Timothy and he says, As for those who are in the present age or rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides for us with provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. I, uh, I did a funeral, I mean, I did a, a wedding yesterday for uh, Aaron Williams, works on our staff out in Wimberley, and uh, we, had a, we had a blast. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and you may not know this, but Aaron's, family comes out of my home church in Corpus Christi. So uh, I've known her parents for many years and a lot of old Corpus connections uh, came and we were out there in Wimberley and after the service we're visiting and I'm visiting with one of my friends uh, from Corpus and he's kind of catching me up on the news about everybody in Corpus and you know first thing he says well you know we've really been doing a lot of funerals and you know all that that age bracket of our parents uh, they're, they're kind of disappearing now you know they're moving from this life into the next and, and that's to be expected. But then he started naming people my age. And that's getting kind of personal, you know. I mean, really, Bob, you don't need to tell me about that. I mean, you know, it makes me a little nervous. But, but as he's doing it, and we're talking about people, and, and, and it's interesting. You know, we, we didn't remember anybody or, or talk about anybody saying, you know, I remember her. She was really stingy. She never helped me with anything. She held on to everything, right? I mean, we don't, we don't do that, do we? I mean, how many times have you come to a funeral and had a great celebration of someone who was stingy, who never gave anything to anybody, never helped anybody else out, and hoarded everything they ever had? I mean, we come and we celebrate and we remember, 
they were there for me. They helped me out when I did this. They, they did this with me. They were generous in this way with me. They loved on us. They gave themselves to us. They shared themselves with us. I mean, that, that's where the blessing and the joy is. When you're able to overcome that fear and open your hands and be generous. You know, one of the things my, my sister and I discovered in our living was that, you know, we're all kind of built of one piece. And if we're stingy, we're stingy in everything. Whether it's money or time or affection or love or concern or compassion. And if we're generous, we're generous in everything. Whether it's money or time or love or concern or compassion. And the joy comes when we're willing to, to share. When we're willing to be generous with the people around us. And to share the blessing that God has given us with them. Winston Churchill said it like this. We make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give. We make a life by what we give. And that's what, what we remember. I mean, that's what strikes us. That's what makes us celebrate people. What it is they share with us in life and, and the wonderful things they give us in joy uh, that lifts us up. And that's where we oftentimes find our deepest joy, when we can get those voices of fear out of the way and trust God enough that we can be generous with others. And in a couple of weeks, you're going to hear me uh, talking about being in, in, in Africa. We're going to do that next week. We're going to talk some about that. But that was one of the amazing things to go there this time and, and to, to listen to people talk and share about how in this development project, you know, they've come to the place where now their lives are stable and they're able to help someone else. And, and to hear them say that, you know, not with a sense of obligation, but with a sense of real joy. We're in a position where we can do this for someone else. And what a wonderful thing that is. And the excitement in their voices. And, and as I'm getting ready to leave the, the area where my uh, sponsored child lives and his family's all gathered there. And we've been there for a couple of hours and, and spending time with us. As I'm getting ready to leave, they're, they're just thrilled because they come out and they bring me two big bunches of bananas and a chicken. Uh, and, 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 you know, this is a big deal because it means... They might not have much to eat for the next couple of weeks. But they're so excited that they can do that. That they can do that. Not obligation, but joy and excitement that they can share that with us. They've learned to overcome the fear and the trust that God's going to provide. So in 1982, I did my grandmother's funeral down in Ganeda, Texas, which is uh, where she lived when my mother and her sisters were growing up. Um, and, and, you know, as happens in uh, small towns, the night before the funeral was the visitation. Some of you know what I'm talking about, where you're at the funeral home or at the church, and they have the, the person in the, in the casket there, and the, and the lid's open, and everybody comes by to see them. And they say those what seem to me awkward phrases like, oh, they look so good. Uh, I always think that's kind of odd, but anyhow, but they come by and you get to visit with them, and, and it was really, it was, it was a real joy for me, because this is older history in our family lives, and uh, uh, you know, by the time my mother got to high school, uh, they had moved from, right, right around then, they moved from Ganeda into San Antonio, and lived with some family in San Antonio, but through those years in Ganeda, my grandmother was living in this little small frame house, raising three girls in the midst of the Depression on her own. And the way she supported that was she had a little cafe there in town. Um, and that's, you know, she uh, prepared food and served food out of there. 
And that's how she managed to keep a roof over their heads and food on their table. Uh, and, and it was interesting. As people came in, they, they were telling us stories. You know, and they were telling us about, you know, when we went to your grandmother's place to eat, we always knew that, that we would have something to eat, whether we had enough to pay for it or not. She would feed us. You know, if they had a little bit, that was great. If they could pay for all of it, that was great. If they had nothing, she'd feed them anyway. And, and we're not talking about for a day or a week. We're talking about sometimes for years. People would come and she would feed them. And people would bring her things to cook. Now, that was kind of a mixed bag because sometimes it was like roadkill kind of things that cooked. And, you know, later on in my life, you know, she cooked some of that for us when we were little kids. And it was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to eat that or not. But, but she, they would bring her things. And if she had money, uh, she would pay them for it, uh, even if it really was roadkill. Uh, because that was one of the ways she could be generous. And so through all that time, you know, when... when it was very uncertain as to whether there would be a roof over their head tomorrow. It was very uncertain as to whether she would have food to put on her own table at home. She was feeding people in that community. And folks would tell us about that. And they would tell us about you know, when somebody got sick in their family that she would bring meals to their house. Or when somebody had died, she would bring food to the house. Or when somebody was struggling, she would come and stay at the house and bring stuff. And, and all these things they did. And, and, and this went on for three hours. This whole community of people that I'd never met before coming in one after another after another, talking about what she had done for them in the midst of the Depression when she was struggling to feed her own family. And they came for three hours to bless her. It was an amazing thing. But that's what God calls us to. That's where joy and blessing is. When, when we are able to, to shut down the voices of fear and ignore them and listen to the voice of God and understand that God will provide for us and we can open our hands and share God's blessing with those around us. So I, I want to ask you to think about that this morning as you're uh, preparing to offer up these commitments and to think about does this really, does this really reflect God's faithfulness in my life? And God's generosity to me? Or, or does it reflect the voice of fear? You know, we spent the last several years doing this building and remodeling over here and doing all of that. And, and for several years here, we have postponed some things in, in ministry and staffing that we felt like we needed to do. But we're kind of at the point now we're ready to move forward with some of those uh, items in, in our uh, ongoing budget in the church. And, uh, you know, we're going to need your support to be able to do that. As I keep telling people, you know, we've built the building, now it's, you know, time to build the church. Um, and, and we're ready to move forward with those things. But it's going to require us to not listen to the voice of fear, but to lean into God and trust God to have us, to hold us, to provide for us, so that we can open our hands and be generous with what God calls us to. So as we get ready to come in a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to consider that. Uh, on what your commitment is and whether that reflects uh, God's goodness in your life and God's faithfulness in your life. Uh, we'll have a moment uh, in a little while where we'll be uh, inviting you to come forward. You can place them in the baskets here on the altar and have a time of prayer. Uh, I believe we're going to have some music first and then we're going to, she's going to play through a verse and then of uh, Surrender All 
and then we'll all uh, sing together. And once you've uh, brought your commitment up here and prayed over it and offered it to God, if you want to go ahead and leave at that point and head across the way uh, and get some barbecue, please feel free to do so. Or if you want to remain in the sanctuary and continue singing with us, uh, you're welcome to do that as well. If you are a visitor here this morning, I want to be really clear, uh, the meal's free, there's no charge for that, there's no obligation on that. Uh, please come and join with us. We have plenty, so please come and share in that fellowship with us and enjoy that meal with us uh, this morning. Let's have a time of prayer. Almighty Father, we come to you this morning, and uh, we admit to you that too often uh, we listen to the voice of fear or our self-gratification and that we tend to uh, want to hold on to everything we can and sometimes we even tend to uh, begin to uh, hold on to an overwhelming amount of things that instead of becoming a blessing in our life end up being a bondage on our lives. So, so we ask you to give us courage, uh, confidence, uh, to know that as you have been with us in the past you'll be with us in the future uh, as you've been good to us in the past you'll be good to us in the future as you've provided for us in the past You'll provide for us in the future so that, that we are able in confidence to not listen to those other voices, but to listen to you and to trust you and to be able to open our hands in generosity and share the blessing that you have given us with those around us so that we might also share the joy and the love that you've given with us. And we ask you to be with us in strength and in confidence and in love and joy in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.